1: We are now 11 days past the day that uh, President-elect Joe Biden was, in fact, declared to be the president-elect, the winner of the 2020 presidential election. And we still are in something of a state of suspended animation as – Uh, President Trump and the Trump campaign uh, and the lawyers who are working for him refuse to acknowledge that Biden has won the race. And, of course, that's a huge story on a national level uh, because it has an impact on how the apparatus of government is going to be transferred over to the president-elect. But it also has become a very important story right here in Georgia since we are now ground zero for control of the U.S. Senate with um, Kelly Loeffler. Uh, fighting against Raphael Warnock, David Perdue in a battle with John Ossoff in the January 5th election. And we're going to talk about that and a lot more on the show today, uh, of course. Uh, But I'd like to start, if I may, um, by first introducing the panel. And then I want to talk about where we stand on this recount since the deadline is midnight tonight. So it's Wednesday, which means AJC political reporter and the hardest working man in political show business, Greg Bluestein, uh, is with us today. Uh, Greg, uh, you've become a real staple on uh, Morning Joe. I've noticed lately they've been uh, calling on your expertise with some regularity. Um, good for you.
2: Yeah, it's been fun. I've been uh, doing Fox News and Morning Joe, uh, so I get both spectrums of the of the national media covered.
1: Yeah, you know, I have to say, right now, I'm actually more interested in watching Fox and Friends in the morning because hearing their take on where this election stands has really been uh, fascinating, Greg.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I did I did a pr- a program with Leland Vittard, one of their uh, anchors, the other day, and I was realized that um you know he had tweeted something about uh, about our segment, and it got ratioed. it got tons of f- pushback, and I, I was wondering if it was something I said. And I didn't realize this, but the day before, um, he had gone um, really critical over a Trump uh, campaign operative who is insisting that he had enough votes. There was an avenue for him to win the election. And this Fox anchor was basically asking, where are they? Where are they? And it it was just, for me, another glimpse at all the pushback he was receiving.
1: Well, and that's why it's so fascinating to watch them right now because of the way in which they're messaging about uh, the election. But I have to say, even on Fox and Friends this morning, they were—they uh, made the point that it was time for the transition t- team, uh, uh, the Biden transition team, to have access to uh, people at the White House to talk about a transition. Uh, so thank you for being here today. We're also joined by uh, Riley Bunch. She is the Georgia State House reporter at CNHI News, which has publications around the state of Georgia. Um, Riley, have things slowed down a little bit for you since uh, the election, I hope?
3: Not quite. You know, we went straight from election day into election tabulating a week and then a a month almost coming up. Um, And then we just have the runoff (laughs) coming up. So it's no slowdown for journalists in Georgia right now.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, Representative Terry Anulowitz is with us, Democrat from Smyrna. Uh, before the show went on the air, we were talking about how we get our exercise. And Terry Anulowitz, we learned that you are a big fan of the Peloton.
4: I love my Peloton. It has lived in my basement for almost two years. <laughs> and it's, it's worth considering when you can't get to the gym. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I'm all right. Amelia
1: Brock. There there you go. There you go, Amelia. We need an underwriting uh, uh, deal with uh, Peloton. Thanks to Terry. In Terry, Thank thanks, you for, thanks for being here. That. And we're joined by we're joined by one of the Georgia Republican Party's real heavy hitters, although he hates it when I say that it happens to be true. Eric Tannenblatt, uh, he has been involved in uh, Republican campaigns and worked with Republicans in elected office for what, 35 years, Eric? I think that's a safe way to put it. You served as Governor Sonny Perdue's Chief of Staff during his first term. You worked on the presidential elections of George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. Uh, You uh, worked with Jeb Bush early in his efforts to win the White House in 2016, and of course you were a major factor uh, in working with Mitt Romney, uh, in his race for the White House in addition to all the other people you've worked with uh, at a state level. Thanks for being here today Eric. Glad to be back. Yeah, it, it's good to have you um, okay, let's get going. Greg, um, let's talk about where this recount stands because we know at midnight tonight they've got to certify they've got to have it finished so that the Secretary of State can in fact officially <laughs> certify the results on Friday. Um, We have learned now that actually three counties, Floyd, Fayette, and now Walton County, have all found votes, either because some votes were never, I think in Floyd, they set aside a batch of votes that never got counted in the first place. I think in Fayette, it has to do with a tabulate, a card that wasn't processed properly. Whatever the point is, there's now about 5,000 votes that are in the mix, many of which went to Donald Trump, uh, but it doesn't uh, reduce his. It, it, it doesn't reduce Joe Biden's lead over him by a whole heck of a lot. Biden still no, leads it, by well over twelve thousand votes.
2: Yeah, yeah. Going to the count, Biden led Trump by about fourteen thousand votes. Now it looks like it'll be a little bit less than thirteen thousand votes. Um, this, to a degree, was expected. Um, maybe not a thousand vote net change, but you know, there was going to be a change in the tally. Um, that's not to say that state elections officials aren't furious, um, particularly at Floyd County. Where, where there was a um, just a, a memory card apparently that didn't get tallied or a scanner that didn't get tallied properly. Um, but And they've called for the local Floyd elections uh, elections chief to, to resign as a result of that. Um, but we're, we're not looking at uh, any changes in any of the outcomes in major races, and not just the presidential race, but also um, this won't change the, the fact that uh, Senator Perdue yeah. is headed to a runoff uh, in January 5th. There was some concern about that. There was some talk about that. Because that margin is so close too, but it's not changing any of the down ballot um, races either.
1: Riley, there's been a back and forth among some of the county election officials on this. Although uh, Raffensperger has uh, blamed this on basically lax o- oversight by county election officials, a couple of them have said this isn't about lax oversight. This is about how complex our system of tabulating votes really is. And I'm sure this is an issue that we'll be looking into or will be looked into in the months uh, following the election, yes?
3: Well, this is an issue we've seen since the primary. The Secretary of State can implement the voting system as much as they want, but the counties are the ones that run it. Um, So the Going into the primary, there was all these issues with county election officials not being trained enough. They didn't have enough resources. Um, But it really comes down to the secretary of state going back to this audit that it kind of, you know, it worked the way it was supposed to. They found some votes that weren't tabulated through human error. As you know, they say their investigations lead to um, human mistakes that cause these things. Uh, But we're going to continue to see this with the probably into the runoffs. this issue of the counties, you know, navigating this new voting system.
1: Um, Eric, I want to play a soundbite and then get your response to it. And I'll bring you in on this too, uh, please, uh, Terry. Uh, Kaylee McEnany was on Fox and Friends this morning. She, of course, is uh, President Trump's uh, press secretary. And uh, here's what she had to say about the discovery of uh, some 5,000 plus votes in the recount in Georgia.
4: Yeah, well, look uh, Look down in Georgia, we have one recount going on right now, just one. There are others that may or may not happen, but there's one going on, and you found nearly uh, 6,000 ballots not counted. So, you know, maybe he should look around at just public news information that's out there, and he can find all the evidence he needs. That there are real questions that need to be asked, because we need integrity in our election system.
1: Uh, she's essentially, Eric, talking about uh, the Secretary of State who is overseeing the election. Eric, uh, the issue here is that this does appear to be human error of one sort or another, and yet it plays into the Trump scenario that there was fraud involved in the election.
5: Look, I mean, that that the integrity of elections is very important, and every candidate and their supporters in campaign have every right to make sure that the elections were— Handled appropriately, and you know what has gone on during this recount plays into the narrative that the Trump, the president and his campaign supporters have, uh, you know, been concerned about. And so I think you've got to just allow this process to play out. This will, you know, we'll get this behind us. I mean, the recount's supposed to conclude. I think is, as, as Kaylee mentioned in her soundbite, it's just one recount. I believe that after this audit is done, there is the ability for another uh, recount. But we will we will get all of this um, behind us. You know, I think it's I think it's important for people to remember and maybe people don't have long memories. But, you know, in 2000, we had a very protracted election until the Florida election was settled. And that wasn't until December. Here we are just a week and a half from Election Day. Well, and, but I think, I think we're but coming was, to an look, end. I think we're coming to an end okay. here That's with, what... with, with this process. And I, I think it, you, we owe it to uh, the candidates that run for office to make sure that they feel that these elections uh, were handled properly. And if there were things that they believe were not handled properly, to vet them out. And at the end of the day, it will be settled.
1: I want to bring Terry in, but look, just one last question, Eric. You're not suggesting. Do you see anything that suggests to you that Joe Biden will not be the next president of the United States? I get saying, let's let it play out. But the the, the Republicans out there who have refused to acknowledge that um, are, seem to be living in an alternative reality. And I don't think you're that kind of Republican.
5: No. Look, I think that it, it, it's hard for me to imagine that the outcome of the election is going to change based on what I have seen. However... I should also note that when you are passionate about a candidate and you you feel strongly about them and there are allegations of fraud, you want to make sure that the process plays out and everything is investigated. And I think we owe it to people. Okay, fair
1: enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Terry?
4: So— it is important to investigate any allegations of fraud. I think it's also important to note that within all of the situations we have here in Georgia, there has been no evidence whatsoever to substantiate any allegations of fraud. And I think that what we're hearing from Kayleigh McInerney, what we're hearing from a lot of a lot of um, Republicans in Georgia, is I think they're trying to sow the seeds of doubt. I will I will be delighted, but I would I would be surprised if if even after this you have rank and file GOP in Georgia really start to acknowledge Joe Biden as the president-elect. Right now, there is one Republican senator, Chuck Settler, who's the only person, ele- the only elected Republican in Georgia to stay, you know, at the state level who has acknowledged Joe Biden as president-elect. And I think that you have, you know, it, it's clear that this is a complex system. It is clear that we need to figure out a better system of oversight for these 159 boards of elections that we have in Georgia. I mean, it looks like in Floyd County, what you really had was a perfect storm you had a you know one election supervisor the head of the elections who apparently had covid the next person in line i guess had a broken hip you had a volunteer who was in charge of this i mean that is something that thankfully we have time to work on between now and the midterm elections and thankfully we're going to have municipal elections and county elections coming up we can have all kinds of pilot Ooh. programs different ways to try things but but it we've learned a lot but but one thing that is immutable is that
2: Joe Biden is president-elect. Yeah, and and Representative uh, highlighted an issue that's really concerning to to Georgia Republicans, even even though not many are saying it publicly, which is um, there's a significant amount of Republican voters who who buy into the argument, the false narrative that this election was stolen. Um, And that not only undermines the electoral system and confidence in our vote, but also poses a, a dire threat to Republicans come January 5th when two runoffs are on the ballot, that will decide the fate and control of the U.S. Senate. Um, and so, we're, what we're seeing right now is Senators Leffler and Purdue walk a very, try to navigate a very fine line between not ticking off President Trump because they need his support, they want him to come down here, they want him to re-energize the base, um, but also trying to not alienate their own core supporters and 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 try to. Uh, not send them the message that hey, this this thing is rigged, so why bother to vote? And that's that's the worry right now, and that's why Democrats are are are, are very feeling very confident about January.
1: Um, Eric, you do you agree with that?
5: Well, no, no I, I I agree with what Greg just said. However, I think it's it's more of a reason to let the process play out because if you shut it down and you don't look into these allegations, it's going to leave doubt in the mind of the president's supporters that do believe the election was rigged. However, if you let the process play out, people will draw their own conclusions. And I think it, they'll they'll have more faith in the system. And we need for people to have faith in the uh, integrity of our election system.
2: But, Eric, do you think that no Riley, matter, I, I oh, just real quick, Eric, go do ahead, you think no matter what happens, what happens, um if this election is certified as we expect it to be, if, if it, that it will calm the critics that, let's say, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, David Schaefer, the Republican chair, will will acknowledge uh, the outcome? Because I think it, it, I just haven't seen evidence of that so far.
5: Well, I, I can't speak for every single person. And I'm sure, you know, there are conspiracy theorists uh, on both sides of the aisle. But I, I I do believe that when the process plays out, uh, people will draw the conclusion that uh, the election is over and they'll move on. And I do believe that the stakes are so high for the January 5th uh, election that uh, the parties, both parties, will be out in force. And I don't, I don't have a doubt that there'll be uh, less enthusiasm on the part of the Republicans if this process plays out as it, as it should.
1: Riley, the problem with all of this is that there are people like Eric Tannenblad who are starting to say, yes. Uh, let the process play out, but I think we've got to accept the fact that Joe Biden will probably be the next president of the United States. But the conspirator in chief is the president of the United States. And when uh, and and when the th- and if the theory is that once the audit is conducted, finished here tonight, when, if they have a recount, which Republicans will have a right to ask for, if the the total is within five point five percent, which it will be. Uh, that everyone will come to accept it. But the president and his people, Riley, keep moving the goalposts. They've now said that they they don't think this audit is worthwhile because it isn't addressing the question of signature matches with absentee ballots. And there's nothing to suggest that the Trump people are going to be satisfied. Riley? Yeah,
3: I think that this is going to be a battle that we— Continue the, the larger issue with the idea of Trump not accepting, you know, that Biden is the president elect, and the Georgia officials, you know, continuing to call for his resignation, is this threatens the trust that voters have in the system. Um, I think that Secretary of State Raffensperger told WSBTV that there was twenty thousand plus Republicans who did not vote in the general election um, that be, because of you know Trump's rhetoric surrounding mail-in ballots. So the implications of these, you know, drawn out allegations, there could be another recount, maybe some more votes will turn up that kind of support the president and his allies position is that this is going to impact our election system moving forward. And I'm sure that the Georgia General Assembly is going to address issues like the signature match during legislative session.
4: So, and and I think, you know, it- I think people will absolutely draw their own conclusions. But one of the dangerous things about people who are drawing their own conclusions without guidance from people they trust, without factual, you know, reality-based guidance, is that they are going to draw, again, all kinds of conclusions. They're going to draw conclusions that the system is rigged. They're going to draw conclusions that their vote doesn't count. And while things typically do play out in time, the GOP doesn't have time. They've got just a couple of weeks. Absentee ballots for the January runoff are going to be starting to hit people's mailboxes pretty soon. And so unless I think that, again, again unless leaders of the rank and file of GOP in Georgia do get out, and, and I'm not trying to give them campaign tips, but you know, unless they, unless they really get out and start to say, you know, look, this is the reality. This is what is happening. Unless these news sources that people are turning to, and it seems like increasingly a lot of these real ardent Trump folks are not turning to the AJC. They're not turning to Fox. They're turning to Newsmax and Parler and all of these other, other things. You know, they're turning to these echo chambers that are really just amplifying these conspiracy theories. And I think it's really critical that, that people say what is actually happening.
1: Hey, Greg, I want to do a little fact check here that this is the appropriate moment to talk about. Uh, so I'm going to play a soundbite in a moment, um, but let me explain what it is. And I, I suspect you were actually at this event. Um, Republicans on this show, not all of them, but several of them, uh, have on a number of occasions now, and certainly we're hearing this in the cable shows with defenders of the president speaking up, they have said that what Donald Trump is doing right now is absolutely no different than what Stacey Abrams did in 2018 when she refused to concede the election to Brian Kemp. So why did we not, uh, back then, uh, criticize her for her intransigence, but we're doing it with Donald Trump right now. Um, and I, one of our panelists said that just the other day on the show. I want to play what Stacey Abrams actually said in her speech the uh, about a week and a half, I think, after the election, Greg, and then talk about why it is not really appropriate to compare what Trump is doing right now with what Abrams said back then. Let's listen.
0: I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. This is not a speech of concession. Because concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper. As a woman of conscience and faith, I cannot concede that. But my assessment is the law currently allows no further viable remedy. Now. I could certainly bring a new case to keep this one contest alive, but I don't want to hold public office if I need to scheme my way into the post. Because the title of governor isn't nearly as important as our shared title, voters. And that is why we fight on.
1: Greg, what's fascinating about that comment if she acknowledges that Kemp will be governor, um, she complains about the process, and she did feel that voter suppression contributed to her loss. But in an in an ironic way, what she's just done is provide a template for how Donald Trump could very easily, event, maybe not easily, but how Trump could frame his uh, loss to uh, Joe Biden.
2: Well, that right there is the main difference between these two scenarios, that she— she didn't concede as just as you heard but she accepted the outcome of the race she accepted that she she lost the governor's race and that, that Brian Kemp would be the incoming governor um and and paved the way for a smooth transition of power even if it wasn't um what a lot of voters wanted her to hear which was a concession speech and and by the way you know she was criticized a lot back then um by members of yes, the media you know by by analysts and all that so so the revisionist history doesn't really make sense but also the other big factor is that she had legitimate legal claims at the time that were pending in court, not not lawsuits that were thrown out with no evidence, like like we're seeing with with President Trump, at least here in Georgia and some other battleground states. Um, there were claims that her camp really thought um, would would expand the electorate and count more ballots rather than restrict the counting of ballots. So that's the that's the other uh, main difference here. And she had a decision to make whether or not she wanted to legally contest the ballot, the the, the election. You know to, to to file a lawsuit ahead of certification after those ten days, and she decided not to because she didn't think that there would that there was enough votes there uh, to make up that gap. And it's not what we're hearing right now from President Trump's camp.
1: Eric,
5: yeah, well, I, I, I think it it is a, a good template. We'll we'll see what President Trump uh, does. To Greg's point about how you know she, she exhausted uh, you know her. Uh, you know, legal challenges, Um, you you know, in in this case, uh, you know, what we just talked about with regards to Floyd and Fayette and Walton, those, again, add to the narrative that there are still issues. And I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but we got to let this process play out. You're starting to see Republican leaders, even though the comment was made that, you know, Republicans are all just standing back, They're slowly starting to acknowledge uh, where this is all going. Mitch McConnell made some comments yesterday. Other senators have started saying things. You're starting to hear more and more of it. And I think that, you know, we're going to get through these recounts. We're going to get the certification of these elections. President Trump is going to, at some point, make some kind of statement. You know, the transition of power, while the official GSA releasing resources to the transition and allowing, Uh, you you know, the uh, transition team to talk to government officials while maybe that is not happening in an official smooth transition. It's happening. I mean, look, President-elect Biden, he's named his chief of staff, his senior White House officials. He's named his landing teams. I know for a fact that some of those landing teams are having unofficial conversations with agency folks. So there's a transition that's happening right now. It's not just President-elect Biden and vice presidential-elect Harris just sitting in Delaware, just, you know, twiddling their thumbs. There's a lot of work that's being done, and we'll get this election behind us, and the country will move forward.
3: I would just add, you know, going back to kind of the people drawing the comparison between Trump not conceding and Stacey Abrams' you know, quote-unquote concession speech, it's whether the motivations were different, whether, you know, Stacey Abrams had the legal backing that she does that Trump does not have— the impact of the rhetoric is very, very similar. You know, Trump is trying to keep a boost of his supporters, and here in um, Georgia, we have people that still, you know, call Stacey Abrams the governor when when she's in public. And so, it's the impact that you know these, this strategy of you know, is really has on the voters and the base is pretty similar.
1: All right, I've got to get to a break uh, right now, but when we come back, a lot more to talk about on Political Rewind, including a, a report that uh, maybe our panel hasn't even had a chance to look at yet. ProPublica, at about 5.30 this morning, dropped a story that Amy Steigerwald, our uh, uh, one of our panelists, uh, passed on to me, which talks about how Brad Raffensberger says he was being pressured by the Trump campaign as long ago as last January in terms of the role he would play in overseeing the election and his relationship with the Trump campaign. It's a powerful story that deserves our attention for a couple of minutes, and we'll do that when we come back on Political Rewind.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
1: Just a couple of quick notes before we continue with our panel. First of all, if you follow Greg Bluestein, if you follow uh, me on Twitter, Nigutb, uh, N I G U T B, or Political Rewind, which is uh, uh, Politics G P um, B, you have probably seen the news that uh, Jim Galloway has announced after 41 years with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he is retiring. He won't do it until after the runoff. Uh, I've already gotten any number of messages from those of you who were really dismayed to hear the news and want to make sure that we will include him in a Political Rewind moving forward. He and I have already had several long discussions about just that and be, be assured that there will always be a role for Galloway on Political Rewind. And since he is not retiring until after the runoff, we'll have a lot of time to pay tribute to this guy, who Greg Bluestein. This is this is someone who you have been uh, you've worked with for a long long time, and I know how much it's meant to you to have him as a guide in political journalism.
2: Yeah, this is the announcement we've been dreading uh, at the AJC for a long time. Thankfully, we still have him through the runoffs, as you said. But look. As a young student in Charles Bullock's political southern politics class at UGA, that's where I first encountered Jim <laughs> and Tom Baxter. They, they gave a guest lecture, and afterwards I went up to him and said, I want to work with you one day. And he didn't remember that, um, but I did. And all these years later, I've gotten that chance, and I'm so I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for it.
1: Well, as I said, we will have plenty of time to talk about Jim's career in the weeks ahead. In the meantime, Greg Bluestein, Riley Bunch, Eric Tannenblatt, Terry Anulowitz with us today. I want to – Terry, let me give you a chance to take this. And, and I know that you all have not probably had a chance to absorb this story, which, uh, as I said, Amy Steigerwald sent me. But here's what – Pro: we know that Brad Raffensperger has become the center of national attention – for uh, uh, his insistence on, on running an honest, uh, transparent election. And, of course, he's been criticized and attacked uh, by national Republicans, by some here in the state, uh, because the results have not turned out the way that uh, Republicans had hoped he, he would. Not all Republicans, of course, are doing this. But here's the lead from the pro publica story. Long before Republican senators began publicly denouncing how Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger handled the voting here, he withstood pressure from the campaign of Donald Trump to endorse the president for re-election. Raffensperger declined an offer in January to serve as an honorary co-chair of the Trump campaign in Georgia, according to emails reviewed by ProPublica. He later rejected GOP requests to support uh, Trump publicly, he has said in interviews, he said he believed that because he was overseeing the election it would be a conflict of interest. The attacks on his job performance are, quote, clear retaliation, Raffensberger said. They thought Georgia was a layup shot for Republicans to win. It is not the job of the Secretary of State's office to deliver a win. That's not the job of our office. So, uh, Terry, uh, that's a fascinating new dimension uh, to what Raffensburger has been uh, dealing with as he tries to um, handle this election. And, of course, it's also why Republicans in this state, and I look forward to hearing Eric's take on this, can seem to be attacking one and other uh, left and right right now over this election result. Terry?
4: This is—so i I, so I was skimming the article when we were on break, and— my mouth dropped open a couple of times. You know, part of me wants to know, like, how, is, how did this particular piece of sausage get made? Was this FOIA request for these emails, or did someone send them these emails? You know, this is you know, the part about a, a Trump campaign operative, quote, bursting into Raffensperger's office to demand this endorsement and this allegiance is, is interesting. I mean, Raffensperger is somebody who a lot of people might not have known even how to properly pronounce his name about six, eight months ago, and now— He's he, he's going to be the focus of some long read profiles because he has been, you know, to his credit, he has been pretty steadfast in his defense of the elections process in Georgia.
5: Yeah. So, so you know, it doesn't surprise me that uh, the secretary of state took the position uh, that he took. Uh, you know, if you go back again, I hate to harken back to 2000, but Catherine Harris became a household name in Florida when she was secretary of state and one of the allegations against her was that she had endorsed uh, then governor Bush when he was running for president. And I think secretaries of state, many of them have chosen to uh, stay out of some of the big high profile elections because they're the chief election officer. And I'll give you a a little bit of a story because it's kind of funny when Karen Handel was secretary of state, I was uh, leading Mitt Romney's campaign and, uh, I wanted to get her to endorse Mitt Romney, uh, and I even went as far as getting Donnie Osmond, who was a supporter of Mitt Romney, and someone <laughs> who Karen Handel loved to call Karen and ask her. But Karen felt strongly that as the chief election officer, she shouldn't do it, and I respected that, and I think that Brad Rathenberger did the same thing, and, and I don't think anyone should criticize him for doing that.
4: I I did want to point out one quick contrast between Katherine Harris, who I will mention is an active Scott alum, but Catherine Harris, who was the Secretary of State in Florida, the the big difference between Catherine Harris and Brad Raffensperger is that Catherine Harris and the Secretary, all Secretary of State in Florida since 1998, have been appointed by the governor, whereas Brad Raffensperger, of course, was elected. So I think that is one contrast that is is noteworthy.
5: Yeah, but it's still the same thing. A couple things, right? Election officer. I'm sorry.
1: Uh, No, no, that's fine, Eric. A couple quick uh, points here. Uh, uh, Number one, uh, Riley, apparently Eric Tannenblatt knows Donny Osmond. I think that's something we ought to keep in mind in case we need something at some point. Uh, Number two, it is funny, Riley. It is funny uh, to talk about. uh, Terry says, you know, people didn't know Raffensperger's name or how to pronounce it. Uh, Saturday night. Uh, Judge Janine on her her Fox show talking to Doug Collins pronounced his name as if she were swallowing a live mouse at the time she did it. I don't know how you can slur someone just by pronouncing his name the way she did, but she managed to do it. Uh, Nevertheless, this story, I I don't mean to make light of it, this is a very uh, significant story uh, that adds to this narrative about the pressure that I'll bet you other secretaries of state probably faced as well. We just don't know it at this point.
3: Yeah, I think that it really just gives us insight into the level of pushback against Raffensperger that we've seen, you know, within a week of the election, within the audit, um, you know, still going through the process. And now we know that he has kind of bucked, um, uh, for lack of a better word, like advances from GOP, you know, wanting them to endorse him. Um, for a while now. But the, the other interesting thing about this is I wonder, you know, you say Raffensperger was not a household name up until now. I wonder what impact that this will have on his career down the road. You know, this when he's up for reelection, this it could arguably be what he's known for and what will make the voters decide on whether they want to keep him as Secretary of State. So it really does have these long implications. And now we know the timeline has been stretched out.
2: Yeah, the representative. Let me get Greg and then Eric why. back. Yeah, Representative Anilis wondered what wondered how this came out. And I I don't know either. But I I do see a, a kind of, a, I don't know, for back of a letter better term, a scorched earth campaign from from Raffensperger as well. Every day there's another revelation. He talked about Lindsey Graham the other day. Um, yesterday he told several outlets that basically it was Trump's fault that he lost Georgia. Um, and today this. Um, so it's. He might know something different about the Republican electorate than I do, but it's harder and harder for me seeing him running for reelection. and he'll certainly get a 2020 challenge, um, 2022 challenge, I should say, from Republicans who believe he's not been um, sufficiently loyal to the party.
5: Yeah, and I just want to add, too, that I don't know that the outreach from the Trump campaign to get the Raffensperger endorsement early on in the campaign had anything to do with his his role is overseeing the elections. I don't want you know listeners to think that uh, they were doing that because they wanted to manipulate the election. Brad Raffensperger is a state constitutional officer, and it is very common when you're running a campaign that you try and line up as many endorsements from as many state officials as you possibly can. And so I think that that was probably more of an effort to try and get another state constitutional officer mm-hmm. to endorse the president of the United States.
1: Um, uh, it, it that may very well be. I think it's a point worth c- keeping in mind, uh, Eric. Um, uh, Greg, how is this tearing apart the Republican Party in Georgia right now from your point of view? I mean, you've got – we've now got the president not only attacking Brad Raffensperger but uh, calling out the governor, Brian Kemp, in the middle of all this. Um, we know that Doug Collins is working with the Trump campaign. He may very well want to launch a campaign against a primary campaign against Brian Kemp in 2022. There's certainly no love lost there uh, because of the governor's choice of Kelly Leffler to fill the Senate seat until this election. Um, I mean, it, it, David Schaefer has uh, weighed in on all this on, on behalf of the Trump campaign. He lost an election uh, to Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor. I mean, this this seems to be setting up some dynamics for 2022 that could be fascinating to watch unfold.
2: Yeah, and as we were speaking, President Trump again uh, lobbed another uh, Twitter broadside at, at the state of Georgia saying the recount is, is flawed and, and Governor Kemp. So... Uh, And forget 2022, I'm talking about 2021, right? Um, 2022 is a big issue for Republicans, but 2021 is when Senate control is on the line. And this civil war is happening at a time um, that, you know, there couldn't be a worse time for the civil war to be happening for Republicans in Georgia because Democrats just demonstrated how they can win a statewide victory in Georgia with with Joe Biden's narrow but still uh, holding victory over President Trump here. Um, and so that's energized Democrats and Republicans who are just sniping at each other. Um, and drawing Governor Kemp in here is, is just is kind of the most confusing part of it, because as the state's top official, he doesn't have anything to do with election oversight. That's that's Brad Raffensperger. So I'm not even sure. Last night I tweeted something about this. I'm not even sure where the battle lines are anymore, because um, it's not as simple as David Schaefer versus versus Brad Rappensburger or everyone versus Brad Rappensburger on the Republican side because now they're drawing in <laughs> Go- Jeff Duncan and Governor Kemp, and it's just very, very confusing, I think, even to Republicans' officials here. And that is
1: exactly why Political Rewind is here, to help sort out the confusion that we are going to follow <laughs> in the weeks to come. we got to get to our final break of the show. We'll be back with more in just a moment. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes So, obviously, Brad Raffensberger is the topic of conversation in a lot of political discussions these days, including uh, all the time we've spent on him in this show. Uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger will be with us on Friday morning to uh, talk about all that he's dealing with here on the same day that he will have to certify the elections. And uh, another program note, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. We're going to have two friends of Eric Tannenblatt's on this show, Saxby Chambliss former United States Senator, and Sam Olins. And uh, what we're going to do is ask them as kind of graybeards of the Georgia Republican Party to talk about where they see the Republican Party headed uh, in the aftermath of what uh, the Trump White House has uh, been like over the last four years, how the uh, disruptions uh, that have taken place in the aftermath of the election have divided the party should be pretty interesting. Uh, Eric, those are two people whose opinions on this will be fascinating to listen to. Won't they?
5: Absolutely. Two individuals who I, uh, highly respect and I think will provide your listeners some very good insight. I'm looking forward to it.
1: All right. Thank you for that endorsement. Um, (laughs) All right, let's, mm-hmm. Greg. Let me start with you again, and then Riley. I want to get your take and bring uh, both uh, Terry and Eric in. Um, where, where do we, Greg? The the two Senate runoff elections: Purdue, Issa, um Leffler, Warnock. There, they have begun running uh, as tickets, essentially, both the Republicans and the Democrats to an extent. Right? Is that do, do we see that? Moving forward, are there reasons to think that at a certain point they might separate from one another? How is that dynamic going to play out, do you imagine, in the weeks ahead?
2: I mean, both campaigns, all four campaigns are talking to themselves as a, as a package deal. But that doesn't mean they won't have different strategies um, and, and and they have different strengths and weaknesses. That's why you saw Ossoff, John Ossoff, um, hit, head out the gates really quickly um, because he's probably in – well, he's in one of the more difficult positions because um, he had a head-to-head, essentially a head-to-head matchup with David Perdue and and fell uh, 85,000 or so votes short. So he needed to hit the trail early. He had a four-day, seven-city campaign trip last week to try to energize voters. Um, Reverend Warnock um, is facing a different sort of challenge the D- Democrat against Kelly Loeffler because he was kind of unscathed over the last nine or 10 months of the campaign. Now he's getting pummeled, there's another yeah. video out um, last night that's gonna be uh, that he'll have to respond to. Um, and so he's got to sort of uh, parry those attacks. Um, David Perdue is the person the, the candidate of those four we've seen the least of. Um, he's only done one or two media interviews, both with national friendly outlets. Um, he uh, he's gonna be on the campaign trail tomorrow and he was he had an event Friday with Kelly Leffler, but that's that's it. Um, and then Kelly Leffler, um, has accepted debates. She's had several events. She'll be back with with Tom Cotton tomorrow, Mike Pence on Friday as well. Um, but but she's she's taking a more aggressive stance right now than David Perdue is.
1: Yeah, I want to c- pursue that, Riley. Um, we we as Greg just said, Leffler has told media organizations. Sh- I'll take them on in debates. You know, if they want to do more than one debate, I'll do it. She's accepted the Atlanta Press Club debate, which I think is on December 4th, as I I think I have that date, or the 5th. But we'll obviously have plenty of time to make sure we know the correct date. Uh, and she seems eager to go up against Warnock, whereas Purdue has refused yet again uh, to debate Asaf. And people are asking. I'm getting notes all the time from people saying, where is... David Perdue, uh, does he have COVID nineteen? No, no, he doesn't. We have—I I shouldn't even have said that because I don't want to start a rumor. Uh, but people are beginning to notice that he hasn't been out there. What's going on, Riley?
3: Well, I think what Greg said about Warnock being relatively unscathed up until the November election, now that he's facing luckwood that's her strategy. That's how she took on Doug Collins. They went at each other's throats, and she, you know, she outspent him. She um, faced him in any debate he wanted, uh, just because you know that's how she is going about her campaign, and that's what we're going to see as she takes on her Democratic challenger, Reverend Warnock. Purdue, on the other hand, um, he has. Always been relatively quiet. I know I saw him last Friday at the first, you know, joint campaign event of Purdue and Leffler's, and I think that you know, no matter how much pushback he's getting for not playing into these debates, not debating Ossoff, it also kind of works to his advantage a little bit because that's what Ossoff has to fall back on for his campaign is Purdue's record, um, his record, you know, in terms of handling the pandemic, his record in Congress, but Ossoff's doesn't really have anything else to go on. So if Purdue doesn't give him you know the chance to push back on his record, maybe it hurts Asov just as much as it hurts Purdue. I don't know.
1: Uh, Terry, it's also I've said it on this show before, uh, the two debates that Purdue did accept and, and did have with Asof in the general election campaign. Um, however you may feel about his conservative philosophy compared to Asov's philosophy, uh, he did not. He did not manage to perform anywhere near as aggressively or probably score the kind of points that Ossoff seemed able to score against him. Um, And that just plain may not be the Purdue strength, and it may be smart of him to avoid finding himself. You know, Ossoff's become a very aggressive uh, uh, debater and probably has scored some points about that. Maybe Purdue doesn't need any more of that
4: might be right. I've heard some, some campaign strategists say that it, it, it's you know typically not a great habit to do a lot of debates when you're in a runoff like this. But it's been interesting to watch the Purdue campaign. I mean he, he really, I thought during, during the normal campaigns he's intended to campaign or to try to position himself as more of a moderate. He, his language was much more tempered, it wasn't incendiary, certainly not in the way that Leffler's language has been very incendiary you know, he, she was leaning into the QAnon folks and the Marjorie Taylor Green folks. He tried to, it seemed, take a little bit more of a, a path towards not, not the center, but definitely a little bit more, more in that direction. That kind of went kablooey when he issued that joint statement with, with Kelly Loeffler calling on Raffensburger to resign. <laughs> and I think he had a little bit of pushback from that from folks who were like, look, you, you were kind of supposed to be the sane one. Uh, we knew, and, and it's, it, it's interesting. So I think that the decision not to debate is is an indication that he may be trying to get back towards that more middle ground area to appeal to folks to to appeal to Republicans to whom the you know the QAnon thing doesn't really appeal.
5: Eric Well, first of all, runoff elections are about turnout. You know who your voters are and you got to get them to turn back out to the polls. So it's a different calculus than Uh, the November general election. And the dynamics are different. As already, you you know, stated, I mean, Kelly Loeffler was running a Republican primary in a jungle general, so she wasn't running your typical general election. And now that's what she's doing right now against Raphael Warnock, who no one really knows where he stands on issues. And as people start learning uh, his positions on issues, it's going to become very apparent that he is very liberal and not aligned with where Georgians are. And I also think that John Ossoff's going to have to answer for Raphael Warnock. And look, there's no doubt John Ossoff is articulate. Uh, there are a lot of actors out there that are very articulate, too. <clears throat> David Perdue is a sitting United States senator. And as I told Greg, we had a conversation yesterday. Both David Perdue and Kelly Leffler are sitting U.S. senators. The Senate is in session right now. They're dealing with really important issues. That Georgians voted for them in the case of David uh, to do, and so we want David to be a senator. He doesn't have the luxury to go on a you know four day you know jaunt around around the state, and so there's going to be plenty of time after the Senate recesses uh, or when they're home on the weekends for for both Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue to be out and about. But I think the big issue is that this is a turnout election. And and again, I think that uh, Raphael Warnock is going to be the one that's going to be defined over the next several weeks, and both Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are going to have to answer for those positions because they are not aligned with Georgia voters.
1: Well, Greg, what Eric just said is an example of why I asked you how you run as a ticket in some ways. I mean, uh, there is going to be a lot of ammunition. A lot of it's already been unleashed against Raphael Warnock, you know, this whole notion of too liberal for Georgia. And in fact, over the years, he has struck some, taken some positions that um, some conservatives are going to find uh, un- unacceptable. Um, so, it is, you know, we've got this. This whole campaign now by Republicans about uh, when he was in Baltimore, uh, Fidel Castro came to the church that he was a young assistant minister at, apparently had absolutely nothing to do with the Castro visit. But it's being uh, used, and, you know, that's perfectly fair for Republicans to do it. So that's why I'm asking, is Ossoff going to find himself in a position where he's going to have to distance himself a little from some of these even more incendiary charges that may be leveled against Warnock?
2: Well, the problem for Democrats is is one win won't, won't change anything. They need to win both these seats to gain control of the Senate. So they've got to run. I mean, it, 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 they have to run together. Um, but you're right. Everything, every hit on Ossoff hurts Warnock, and vice versa. And every ding on Leffler hurts Purdue because there's going to be very, very little drop-off between these two these the, these two candidates. I don't see very many switch voters voting for, let's say, Purdue and uh, and Warnock. It's just hard to it's hard to see that that outcome. Um, but at the same time. Uh, you know, just as you mentioned, Ossoff is more defined than Warnock, and so especially when it comes to like some of this these anti-Israel uh, charges that, that that Warnock is not sufficiently pro-Israel, someone like John Ossoff could help him rebut those as a as a 33 year old Jewish uh, candidate. Um, just like um, just like Democrats are trying to tar both Republicans over stock transactions, um, David Perdue, who is not facing nearly the same scrutiny that Kelly Lefford did, could help her rebut those charges so we'll see how that plays out but they're going to be for better or worse they're a package deal
1: um that's why this is going to be eric you want to get one last comment in we're really running out of time
5: well the other thing too is because kelly leffler was in that jungle general running a primary this is also going to provide her an opportunity to reach out to people especially suburban women which is one of the reasons why i think governor Kemp appointed her uh initially all
1: right for all of you conservatives out there who say we don't give Republicans a fair chance, Eric Tannenblatt just got the last word on today's political rewind. Eric, uh, Representative Terry, and Riley Bunch, Greg Bluestein, thank you for a terrific show today. As I said, tomorrow, Saxby Chambliss and Sam Mullins. One of the things that's cool about Saxby Chambliss is he won a 2008 runoff election against Democrat Jim Martin uh, for the seat in the U.S. Senate. We'll talk to him a little about that and a lot more. And Friday, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger will be with us. Uh, So until I see you tomorrow, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and please, if you haven't done it, go get a flu shot. See you tomorrow, everybody.